0: Welcome to Bonehead Weekly, I forgot how to say weekly, I'm a dumbass, today we have screenwriter Kathy Charles, Lady Charles, how are you, I I hate it when people ask how are you doing today, it's like the most generic question in the world, so what's up?
1: I'm doing fine, It's it's Friday night in Los Angeles, it's hot as hell, it's apocalyptic out there, Um, so it's gonna be a good time.
0: And you're talking to three Yahoos from Kentucky. So obviously you have a party life if you're able to do this. So what's that poster behind you for our audience who can't see who are not who are listening instead of YouTube?
1: Right. So it's um it's Dustin Hoffman in Straight Time and an Italian one sheet of Straight Time. And if you haven't seen that film, it's it's fantastic. Uh you know, it's it's Dustin Hoffman kind of playing a, a little against type. Is this hardened criminal, and uh, there's this amazing scene in a jewelry store in Beverly Hills where he's just smashing everything up, and it's really badass and hardcore. So I really like that film. But what's really disconcerting about the poster behind me is these two enormous hands. Yes. Uh, because he's being frisked. He's in jail right, right, right. and he's being frisked. So it just, whenever I have my meetings, it looks like this gentleman is, you know, he's he's kind of i have these hands coming out the side of my head uh, it
0: doesn't it doesn't look like he's being frisked what it looks like to me is he's trying to stop a bus or an oncoming (laughs) car Yeah,
1: no. there's a cop and a cop and some hoods and
0: yeah
1: yeah he's got his hands up against the glass so uh highly recommend straight time it's a great film
0: guys i don't think i've actually seen straight time every once in a while somebody brings up a movie i'm familiar with it but i've never seen it
1: yeah, people don't talk about it much, um, but it's it's
0: definitely it's a gem. It's a gem of a film.
2: Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to remember. I'm a very avid podcast listener. There was actually a podcast I listened to. I'm trying to remember which one it was, and they went on a tangent about how great Straight Time is an unfor, is a is a forgotten classic. Uh, and it was a it was a conversation regarding fellow Kentuckian Harry Dean Stanton. I
3: was say Harry Dean Stanton's in it. Yeah. That's, yeah. Okay. Absolutely.
2: So it made that made me want to watch it, and now now I extra want to watch it because it's. Literally on top of the big screen with with behind your face. <laughs> I got to find. I got to yeah, check this I, um, movie out.
1: I I hadn't. You know, I didn't really have much of an appreciation for Dustin Hoffman. I mean, I know he's a great actor, but uh, I've really been diving into his work in in a deep way recently. I I rewatched uh, Straw Dogs, which had a really enormous effect on me uh, i've seen it many times before but this time around for some reason uh it really touched a nerve with me so i've just been you know i've been midnight cowboying i've been straight timing uh he's he's an incredible actor he's great did
2: you this go by- it, and great. he has an uncredited he has a, he was an uncredited but he partially directed that if i'm not mistaken straight time
1: uh no no he didn't
2: well it, it it's uncredited it, the director is Ula Grosbard, but he—he he, yeah. uh, it was uncredited because I think he did some of the work behind the scenes and just didn't get, take credit for it.
1: I'm sure an actor like Dustin Hoffman just kind of takes over. Every yeah. And then. I could be completely wrong, uh, but an actor of that stature and caliber, they normally—they uh, normally have a lot to say.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you go back and revisit Lenny when he played Lenny Bruce cuz I I was never crazy about the movie and haven't watched it in years and I'm going through the uh, Marvelous Mrs Maisel right now and I I keep thinking about going back and rewatching it.
1: Yeah, I haven't rewatched it. I remember when I did watch it it left me a little cold, yeah. but I think that was the intention. You know, he's not you know that Lenny Bruce was not kind of a warm man so you can really connect with in any way uh that's just for me personally but uh that's a good idea i should go and have a look at that one as well
0: that's okay so we try to pride ourselves in asking questions that not everyone will ask and i was listening to a podcast you were on the other day the audio was a little rough but i was making my way through it and you said something that I found fascinating as a screenwriter, and we've interviewed several screenwriters and I've met, a, we've met a lot over the time that we do our convention work and stuff, but you actually like reworking someone else's work, someone else's script. I
1: do.
0: <laughs> Delve into that because you kind of, it was kind of glazed over and you said that in the interview and I was like, are you serious? Really? I'm just, I'm just curious.
1: Well, um, I find it really exciting to make material better. It's really satisfying. And I don't claim to uh, have the, the greatest ideas in the world or, uh, you know, know the best way around everything. So I actually think in, in terms of screenwriting, I think collaboration is really important. And I know you get situations where you can tell that there's too many writers on something and it feels like a bit of a Frankenstein draft. But um, In terms of reworking someone else's material, especially in terms of the horror genre, what I find with horror is the biggest challenge uh, in writing horror, especially now, is just coming up with something that's new and different and a trope that people haven't seen before, an idea or a concept that people haven't seen before. It's really difficult to do. And I think it's actually the hardest part of being a horror screenwriter. So if someone gives me a script that already has that there and they just want me to, you know, Lean into it, punch up the set pieces, make the characters better. I find that uh, incredibly satisfying, uh, and it's fun. It's a fun thing to do.
2: Have you ever been writing a script and then all of a sudden realize, oh, I put I put down that trope, and then you have to go back and re rework it? Have you ever caught yourself doing that with because because there's just, there's just so many tropes that are just you know ingrained in us as horror movie fans.
1: That's yeah, maybe. I don't take them out (laughs) because (laughs) people expect them. Like they, there are certain things that people want to see in a horror film. So if I put it in a horror cliche, uh, it's normally because the story demands it. I mean, you always hope to go in at an angle that's a little more original than what people have seen. But I mean, that's not always, possible, but I mean, the horror films that I write are normally very character driven. They're not particularly set piece driven or concept driven. Even though I have written some things with high concepts, they're very, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of character work that goes into it and the stories are dictated by who the characters are and what they do. So it's less likely that I'll fall into the, the, the you know, quagmire of, oh, I'm, I'm doing this same sort of kill over again or whatever, because uh, the characters i write are very uh they're very unique and strange and different so they behave in kind of unique ways i hope
0: <laughs> that, that leads the, me in, it anyway that, i mean it's kind of J- jacob's wife is very character driven mm-hmm. i mean it, we're dealing with her and we're dealing with i don't want to call sadness because i was re i was watching it last night preparing again i was re-watching it and okay, i it was I, Jeff. Did I pause my internet? That was the reason why I was late. I need to get a new internet um, provider. We once every six months have an issue and it would be tonight. (laughs) Right. So I, I was watching Jacob's wife and Barbara's performance specifically. I found what I, the part of that I really loved was the Mm pre-bite. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if it's just because she spoke to me in that, or if it was just, so can you talk about developing that? Because you were the, you were number three, right? There was another, there was first writer and you were the second, and then there was a third.
1: Right, so uh, the original script was written by, uh, sorry, Mark Stainsland, Mm -hmm. uh, and I, read it and it was uh, such a you know it was such a fantastic story and it also spoke to my sensibilities because it felt like a little bit of a throwback to the films that I really love like horror films of the 90s. It had a Stephen King quality to me and um, you know and it was very much dictated by character. and you know Barbara and I uh, wanted to say a lot of the same things about marriage because Barbara's married. Uh, I'm married. And we wanted to talk about the challenges that come up in a marriage in a way that felt very equal. We didn't want this to be, this, we wanted this to be a film where both husbands and wives could watch it and, and relate to it. And no one was really the bad guy. You know now what Jacob's
0: I mean? Jacob's not an asshole. It's not. In fact, he has many redeeming qualities. He's boring. He's <laughs> not the most fascinating person on earth. but he leads his life and he has some sort of whether you're religious or not he has this moral ground and for the most part when you're watching it you think oh he's not a terrible person he's not a bad person at all and i i appreciated that instead of because i think a lot of times they either whether it be male or female they take the character and they just either make them awful or they're stupid or do you know what i mean just to easily simple simplify it but he's not any of those things he's just boring and they're bored
1: right and I think that there's definitely a a tendency to want to villainize someone in a marriage when things start to go wrong it's about whether you can grow with someone because I mean it's a really unrealistic expectation to think that two people are going to get together and stay together for their whole lives through all of these immense changes that you go through personally we're not the same people we were 10 years ago we're not the same people we were last year considering the pandemic and everything that's happened and You know, I think that uh, there's a lot of focus on, you know, who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad. But at the end of the day, I think that in a lot of marriages, people are just trying to work it out together. And I think that Anne and Jacob do that once they're, you know, presented with this issue and this problem. They realize how important they are to each other. And, you know, it allows Jacob to realize his shortcomings, it allows Anne to realize uh, the things that she has been unsatisfied with. And uh, they try to work together to a conclusion to, you know, to see if they can rectify it. And whether they do or not is kind of up for debate, but that's the way we (laughs) wanted it to be. We didn't want to give an answer. Uh, We wanted, uh, because I don't think at the end of the day, there are answers when it comes to marriage. I don't think you, you know, you get to the end of uh, a marriage and say, well, this was right or this was wrong. Uh, It's just a constant back and forth and tussle. Uh, All relationships are. And we just wanted to show kind of the, the, that in a
0: realistic manner i think so you that's talk- the- oh. sorry i was
3: gonna say that's the scene that kind of jumped out at me in the film was there's that scene where he's talking to someone and he says she's changing yeah. and all of that and it's well that's that's what happens in a marriage i i been married he's been married seven
0: times. Do not feel bad no. about <laughs> it.
3: Wow. No.
1: seven no. i I'm,
3: I'm lucky.
0: He's a professor with a PhD. I'm just saying. Oh uh, cool. well, but, you
1: know, uh, these are very impressive. But I was about to say you're the Elizabeth Taylor of the podcast group. Oh
0: yes. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> that's Chad, right. but it's a different
3: reason. <laughs> oh, Chad. All right. But no, I, I think that's such a cool scene because I automatically went, you know obviously that's what happens in a marriage that you know the the person that i married 15 plus years ago is not the same and and there's that it sounds like a cliche line but you either grow together you grow apart and actually there's certain things that you grow apart on and then we hope other things grow together or not and there's that back and forth there so i really love that scene because it plays as kind of a quiet scene but i think it embodies a little bit of the horror that marriage can be is if there is too much change, if there is too much, or if you're not ready for the fact, you know, if you expect somebody to stay the same for 10, 15, 50, whatever years of marriage, it's not realistic. So I really appreciate that scene. I thought that was a fascinating scene.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the reality is we're all going to keep changing. And if someone changes and you can't and it's into something that doesn't, isn't compatible with you anymore. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, so I think at the end of the day, for me, it's about, uh, you know, is there the foundation that's between two people? Is it loving and is it respectful? And if it is, and I think you get that between Anne and Jacob, there is, there's love and there is respect there, that you, uh, that, you know, maybe you can overcome this stuff. I don't mean to get so heavy on a Friday. Oh, no, no, I love it. a good time and <laughs> and hey, I'm bringing everyone down. It's less Lady so
0: Charles. Have another <laughs> one. So I was going to ask, and usually I ask this at first, but I really wanted to start out with a different question because, like I said, I found that I hope you haven't been asked that before. About really, you really like rewriting, but what was the? This is something that we've asked. I've Actors, directors, screenwriters, production designers. What was the bug that bit you? You're in Melbourne, Australia, correct? That's where you're mm-hmm. from. So, what was the movie or the book that got you? And you, I'm down this rabbit hole, and this, you know, it's done. Was it King?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, King was an enormous influence for me. Like most people, I mean, there were a few key seminal movies that I saw when I was younger that really just knocked me on my ass. Like uh, I always bring up Carrie. And an American wealth in London, and I think the reason that they were so uh, influential in terms of the way I write is because there were such tragic stories, and I loved the tragedy of them. I was really moved by it, and there was a romanticism to them, and uh, you know, and they were they were you know grandiose, tragic, sad stories, uh, and. I, and they would affect, and they affected me. And I, you know, after I saw them, I would walk around in a daze, just trying to, you know, just trying to uh, get some relief from them, you know? And I mean, and even a film like, uh, like Basket Case, you know, like Basket Case. I of watched. a and Water.
0: Yeah. a
1: and of Honor, fantastic. And uh, that was another really tragic story. So I think I was always drawn to these really sad, romantic, tragic horror films and the way that they affected me. And I liked that they made me feel, Uh, so bad but I originally wanted to direct and I made a few short films but I found that I wasn't very good as a director because I found actors to be very intimidating and I didn't really know how to communicate with them and converse with them I would actually become quite shy Uh, so uh, I so I made a few shorts and then I found that no I really I really don't enjoy that aspect of it Uh, but I always loved writing, and I didn't know if I was going to be a screenwriter. And I worked in the film industry in Australia, and it's very it's very small, uh-huh. and government funded, and uh, you know, there's just it's very hard to get films up there, like it is everywhere. But um, I ended up writing a novel first, and I had that published, and then I came to America, and I met my husband, and he was a screenwriter, and uh, he encouraged me to write screenplays, and basically, you know, taught me. Everything I know about screenwriting, so I had a really great education from him, and, uh, and and I had some success there, and that's kind of where I ended up.
0: Okay, but was it so? But you've always had an attraction to horror. You've yeah. always had attraction to the macabre.
1: Sure, anything really, really dark. Um, I'm I'm up for. I mean, you know, I I say that, but I love, you know, I love comedies as well. Like I'm not a I'm not like a dark broody person. What's I'm one of your
0: favorite, favorite comedies? <laughs> hmm.
1: Some of my favorite comedies. Top um, of your head. Well, okay, so Annie Hall is one of my favorite films of all time.
0: Okay, Woody uh, Allen.
1: Yeah, so Woody Allen films. I love Woody Allen, but then I also love really broad stuff like, you know, like National Lampoon's Vacation is incredible. Mm. Um, you know, I, when I was a kid, I watched like Revenge of the Nerds and Bachelor Party and Caddyshack and all this really misogynistic, dumb, very funny stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed all of that. Um, so I think, you know, I, I have a little bit of a, a wicked sense of humor due to, you know, looking at those films when I was a kid. Yeah. But um, in terms of the horror genre, I think it was because it was kind of the forbidden fruit because my, my mother didn't allow me to watch horror films and I had to go to my friend's houses to watch them. So I was sneaking around the neighborhood, uh, going to my friend's houses and seeing things like Gremlins and Ghostbusters. And uh, I saw a film called American Gothic which was about hillbillies mm-hmm. killing people with knitting needles, which yep. is fun. Um, so, but like I said, I was just always, I think I was always attracted to, uh, to, to dark material, not because it was dark, but because of the intensity of the emotion. Like, I like a lot of intense emotion. Like, if I'm going to watch, you know, a romance, I'll watch like a Cassavetes film. You know, I really want to get to the, the core of something in a very deep way. I'm not a very surface level person i like to get to the heart of the matter in a very deep way much to the consternation of a lot of people around me but uh it's just kind of how i was built
0: lady charles
1: australian thing as well australians just get to the the heart of everything <laughs> <look> at all
0: <laughs> we actually do a segment for an australian uh podcast every week a friend of ours we've we've never met in person but for the last three years we've become friends god bless social media and the internet for that right mm-hmm So you don't mind being bruised and, and beat up after a movie, at least. I I look for that. I look
1: for that. I look for that, uh, for that experience. Um, I, yeah. And I really enjoy it. And for me, it's not, it's not about the shock value of a story. It's not about, you know, like I, I've I've tried watching certain things like I've never seen Cannibal Holocaust and I know I should watch it and but there's just something about it that makes me very nervous about I've never seen a Serbian film like I've never seen the really big shocking films that everyone talks about because I don't want to be I don't want to be traumatized but I want to be moved and saddened so well uh, give me that
0: and i can do it the thing about cannibal holocaust is i'm okay to the animal stuff and i can't i i will (laughs) never watch it again oddly enough i've met the director many years ago in chicago and he's the nicest guy he's like someone's grandfather and i'd i watched it afterwards and i was like "Eh, things shouldn't hurt for cinema
1: no, I completely agree. Um, anything to do with animals, I'm, I'm not yeah. down with. And, uh, you know, people always say to me, oh, but it's just, it's not, it doesn't go for that long. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't need to see that. But, um, yeah, uh, so, so shock cinema is not my thing. Uh, but like I said, grand tragic stories definitely, definitely are.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about Castle Freak. So we were going to do this interview, oh, seven eight months ago, I think. Yeah. I think, uh, would Castle Freak come out on Shudder sometime in December?
1: I think so. It's, it's a bit of a blur um, because we were going to premiere uh, at a festival uh, the previous yeah. April, I think. And then, of course, COVID hit and, uh, and there were no more festivals for a while. So I can't remember when it hit Shudder. But yeah, I think maybe December, October, November. I think Maybe for Halloween. Maybe it was there for Halloween. I can't quite remember.
0: No, I don't know. It was right after that, and you were going to do the show, and I was watching it, and I was like, because we've seen Castle Freak. It played our our Halloween-a-thon a few years ago. Cool. And for some odd reason, it was one of, guys, correct me, it's one of the Stuart Gordon pictures, somehow, some way, that we never really had seen before. Right.
2: Correct. Yeah, I have never seen it before
0: till six or seven years ago. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me why. I I mean, I've seen everything. We from saw rob-
2: space truckers. But space we didn't truckers, see robot,
0: robot I jocks.
1: space truckers. I you need never- to rectify that.
0: Oh yeah, you do, and it's actually yeah. it's free streaming, isn't it, Chad, it's on a couple <laughs> of things. Yeah, it's
2: either on it's on Tubi, and I think Amazon Prime. Oh, I love
1: Tubi. Oh my goodness, I love Tubi because uh, that was where I first saw Shockma, <laughs> which I loved. I was like. I was watching, I was going through Tubi. I'm like, what is this Shakma monkey movie? This is great. Okay. I just talked about how I don't like seeing animals being hurt, but Shakma wasn't hurt. Shakma hurt people. So it was okay.
0: You gotta look up, what the hell is Shakma? You've lost me. This is twice you've done it. Oh, okay. You don't know Shakma? I, I, I'll judge me. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I will judge you. Um, Lady Charles,
0: I do uh, not know it. <laughs> okay. Do the other two boneheads know it? no you've lost
1: fantastic so it's um so it's about a monkey um that goes crazy in a uh in a college building and picks people up one by one and like uh if memory serves me so uh amanda wiss is in it from nightmare and i'm um, roddy mcdowell's in it i've never even heard of it in it um it's it's just really intense
0: I just wrote it down it it'll be playing don't you worry well there's this is the second we've done two interviews in a week and this is the second time someone's given us something that we should watch that we've never seen yeah Roddy
1: McDowell's in it and look I mean Roddy McDowell did a lot of really great exploitation films um absolutely you know class of 84 and Uh oh my god I love Roddy McDowell so uh yeah Shakma uh Tubby very cool
0: Okay, <laughs> i have to check it out I forgot what the hell we were talking about before oh, then, I'm by the way. Sorry. No, 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 no. I was just space sitting Planet. here going Yeah, space truckers Stuart Gordon. For some odd reason we missed it. So we're, I was watching your Kessel Freak. Oh, yeah. And I was I was I was sitting there and, and some of the casting choices and I was going through it. And but I tell you, you really earned my respect. And I'm hoping I'm hoping you had something to do with that last 20 minutes. I'm hoping that wasn't that that was yours, because first of all, we could start talking about how you change genders of things that are not unexpected.
1: Yeah, right. Sure.
0: There's a huge there's a big one in Jacob's wife, and I don't know how much you want to talk about. I don't know how many people have or haven't seen it, so I won't give away too much, but there's a really big one in Castle Freak and that's not the big thing that I think is batshit it's the Lovecraftian last 20 minutes and I don't mean Stuart Gordon Lovecraftian I mean actual Lovecraftian last 20 minutes of that movie
1: yeah I mean I think uh one of the things that I was interested in doing I I will take credit for the last 20 minutes um
0: good I, I really I it it I, I was there like, are
1: some, there are some things in that film that are not mine <laughs> yeah there are some there are some that, like when i came onto the project there were a couple of scenes that that i'm sure everyone's aware of they were already there it's like you know right around this but this scene is in the film and uh and i think can you it, talk
0: about it or do you want to not talk about it it's oh, fine if sure. you don't. i
1: mean like the, the 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 very shocking sex scene in the film that was yeah. there from the beginning and i think it was kind of a litmus test of well, if you as a writer can stomach that scene, then uh, then you've got the job, you can write everything that goes around it. Um, but it was funny because when they shot that scene and I saw it, uh, I, it, it completely blew my mind. I was like, people are gonna have a hard time with this. Um, but, so the last 20 minutes were definitely mine. I mean, the influences that I was pulling in, I mean, the, I, I think the original film is, is absolutely wonderful. I mean, Dennis Paoli is Mm -hmm. one of the great genre screenwriters and everything he and Stuart did together were just so high quality. And I knew that I had to do something a little different. And I thought, well, let's go back to the Lovecraftian roots of this. And let's, I thought, let's just bring in as much Lovecraft as possible. And I know some people loved this and some people hated it, but I just felt like if we, brought in all of these Lovecraftian influences and we drew from a lot of different Lovecraft stories that could be really interesting. So the we pulled in from the outsider, obviously, which is what yeah. Castle was originally based on, but then we also pulled in a lot from the Dunwich Horror,
3: mm-hmm.
1: which is probably my favorite uh, of the Lovecraft tales. And I also pulled in a lot from the films uh, of uh, Fulci and Barber because yep. Uh, at the time, we didn't know we were going to shoot in Albania. Mm -hmm. Uh, We thought it would be set in in Massachusetts, uh, and we'd shoot in America, but we ended up shooting in Albania and and transporting the story to there, and it just seemed like a good opportunity to really look at some of the tropes that I love from Barber films, and, you know, I thought a lot about... In terms of that ending, once again, I thought a lot about the great tragic endings that I really enjoy. I thought about the ending of the Beyond which is terrifying. Yeah. And I just, uh, I loved the idea that, you know, I think what I was exploring in the story of Castle Freak was that you can be in a relationship with someone and really love them and really want it to work out, but it's ultimately not a good relationship for you. And, uh, and ultimately sometimes, even if people want to change, some people can't change. And you saw that with the character of John, he, tr- he tried, to not drink. He tried to behave himself, but he ultimately couldn't. And uh, it's also this idea, and this is very fatalistic, but uh, this idea that, you know, we spend so much of our time as human beings trying to control everything and analyze everything and make things work. And at the end of the day, we're all just going to be dead. And you know it's a big cosmic joke so i kind of wanted to put the characters through all of this trauma of oh should i stay with him should i leave him should i forgive him should i not forgive him well it doesn't matter because ultimately a tentacle is going to burst from your vagina and the universe has something else in store for you so worrying about this guy has been a waste of your time uh especially after what's what's gone on between you so that's where i was coming from Uh, I know it's very cynical, um, but, you know, I I do think, you know, sometimes in my own day-to-day life, when I, you know, I'm a very anxious person, and I analyze everything, I take everything apart, and I'm always trying to figure everything out, and at the end of the day, it doesn't get you anywhere, Um, and, you know, like I said, the, the universe is kind of a big cosmic joke, and that's what Lovecraft was about, so I wanted her... At the end I wanted her transformation to start off as something potentially beautiful and transcendent but then actually turn into something uh quite horrifying uh and leave the audience somewhere kind of nasty uh so that's where I was coming from with that.
0: Yeah to quote young Frankenstein destiny destiny no escaping. No it's that for me it's it's that's what it is and and honestly it also and i'm going to give you a little bit of a compliment well this is a big compliment to me he's my second favorite director it's very carpenter-esque in the sense of if you look at his apocalypse trip uh trilogy the mouth of the madness which is which is a lovecraft yeah prince of darkness was definitely another
1: influence on this. prince of
0: darkness and the thing right yeah i can see it i can see it
1: The Prince of Darkness is actually very influential on a lot of things that I write. I feel like Prince of Darkness is this really underrated perfect movie, it's perfect and it's terrifying. I was actually really lucky I got to see it uh, where they shot it uh, a couple of years ago which was really amazing. Um, But no, Prince Prince of Darkness is brilliant and scary as hell, it's damn scary
0: yes i i still the scene creeps me out where she's when she raises up and it's she's absorbed and he's trying uh, to get out i don't it's it's yeah absolutely it's probably and the,
1: and the video shaky video footage mm-hmm. and in him ret- oh it's 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 a tough it's a tough one that freaked me out quite a bit uh yeah Carpenter's amazing
0: yeah it's the scariest film yeah yeah it's not how it's that one i agree i agree but i i got so it's cool so james you had another question well, I, I just wanted that you, you mentioned you wrote a novel
3: when you first started and just the, um, and I believe that was published in the United States as John Belushi's did. Yeah. Uh, and and just that process of writing a novel versus writing a screenplay, what is the major, if if somebody was debating right now, if one of our listeners goes, I want to write one or the other, what would you tell them is, is what they need to have in mind about the way they approach each of those?
1: Well, in terms of writing a novel, there are kind of no limitations. You can, you, can, you can wax lyrical about the furniture in a room for 100 pages if you wanted to. You can do whatever you want. A screenplay is a very definite structure. I find that aspect of it really satisfying because it's kind of like doing a Rubik's cube. You have a particular finite set of rules that you have to work within. I'm a bit of a minimalist, sparse writer as it is. I don't, when I write stories, I write them because I want to tell the story. It's not so much that I want to, um, you know, show how beautiful my prose is, you know, like I. it's not so much about the, the, the prose and linguistic aspect of it. It's more about just getting the story across so, Screenwriting works really well for me in that sense. Um, But I like the challenge of trying to, uh, it's like getting building blocks. And and I really like that challenge. And I like having to fit something within a particular form. But I also, I'm very dialogue driven. And uh, you know, if you're writing screenplays, it's, you know, you're dealing with a lot of dialogue. So I just, I find screenwriting to be very, to be very satisfying in that sense. I like the confinement of screenwriting. also, it just—it it, sometimes your career just works out that way. After John Belushi is dead, I wrote two more novels and I couldn't get them published. And then I broke in with screenwriting and I've had a lot of success ever since. So I think it's important to constantly be recalibrating with your career and going where the opportunities are and kind of where the river flows. And it will probably end up at some point that I can't get hired as a screenwriter anymore for some reason. Because I've written another offensive film about tentacles and vaginas and things, oh. I'm horrible. So, and then I may go back to novel writing. Um, so I think, you know, there are there, you know, there is people call themselves screenwriters and novelists and all that. But I think, you know, if you're if you're just if you consider yourself just a writer, you can work within all mediums, and and that's what I like to do. But I mean, I I just I like the confinement of screenwriting. I find it really pleasurable in some ways.
3: As Peter David referred to himself as a writer of stuff because he had done novels, screenplays, comic books, all of that, and that was his tagline. Was he goes if 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 it if I can get the job, I write it.
1: Yeah, and you have to diversify, especially now because um, you know, I mean, the the landscape's constantly changing, and you know. Movies may not be made in 10 years, you know, it may just, you know, the whole one hour, one and a half hour, two hour format, like it might go. I, we just don't know. So you really need to be able to write for many different mediums. And I've written, you know, web series and, you know, I think the only thing I haven't written is, is poetry and God forbid I ever turned my hand to poetry. Um,
0: but you have the perfect title, Lady Charles. <laughs> Lady Charles. Watches Charles. philosophically
1: yeah yeah with perhaps. tentacles
0: and vaginas with the tentacle <laughs> vagina
1: <laughs> my first uh, volume of poetry is called tentacles and vaginas Will
0: you dedicate it to bonehead weekly
1: <laughs> maybe maybe I mean, well, I mean, you send me some good kentucky bourbon i'll do it
0: oh um, you we we do a horror movie convention you come on down you can on the panel we will take you for all the kentucky bourbon you would like we will have look, a great I time
1: have, i've been to kentucky it's beautiful well, like people don't realize how beautiful kentucky is um i went to uh jim beam That's yep. right? outside yeah. of
0: louisville yeah
1: beautiful it's like it's like a willy wonka's chocolate factory except with booze it's stunning yep. <laughs> you so can yeah, it totally down with kentucky
0: yeah you you can do tours here all week and then do a movie, horror movie convention at the end i am so sorry someone keeps I beeping at that. me but yeah you could do a horror movie convention at the end you will have a blast I was about to ask another question. Okay, so you're the first writer, screenwriter that we've had, and I may be wrong. We've had Oscar winners, we've had people with huge films, but you're the first one that's been on the either the blacklist, the red list, the blue list, the hit list, the, the, the dawn list, list, the blood list, the huge list, yeah. you know. And yeah. I'm curious if is that a blessing or a curse?
1: No, it's definitely a blessing. It's what started my career. Um, I was on the blacklist. Which is a list of the best unproduced screenplays for the year in Hollywood. I should
0: have explained that before yeah. my question. Well, Sorry, I thank you. Say
1: best. I'll say most liked. So, yeah, because
2: some of our listeners are going to go, "Oh, she knows James Spader."
1: <laughs> oh, I wish I knew James Spader. Okay. <laughs> um. So oh, now I'm thinking about James Spader because uh, during the pandemic I went on a big James Spader kick and I watched. Uh, I watched it. He was in so many crazy exploitation horror films like like Jack's Back, uh-huh. Tough Earth. Oh, these films were great. Anyway, uh, James Spader, let's put him to the side for the moment.
0: That's There's okay, a Lady Charles. You have a moment and we will wait on you. Hold on. Let me have a drink while you think of James Spader. Because I promised you we would have, I promised you we'd have a good time tonight. I did do Tough that. It's
1: crazy. It's on Amazon Prime right now and it's a high school exploitation flick with James Spader and Robert Downey Jr. in it. It's Crazy, um, and Jack's back is like this Jack the Ripper, uh, modern day yep. Jack the Ripper thing set in uh, Echo Park in Los Angeles. And uh, James Spader plays multiple characters. oh it's so good. Um, I, I got to tell you, his
2: favorite his favorite role of mine is still Two Days in the Valley. I love him I as the hitman that. in that movie. Okay,
1: I'm gonna. I'm writing
2: that You got to watch Two Days in the Valley I'll just hold
3: on now. We're just
2: for him, him for him and Danny Aiello.
1: Oh, I love Danny Aiello. He's my—he's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, There's some
0: good scenes considering it's a—it's a direct Pulp Fiction rip-off film. They yes. came out right after, but yes, it is—it does. There was
1: so content. many of those.
0: There was a ton.
1: Yeah. Not
0: in the 90s, but yeah. we're of a certain age. We remember them. We were at the and right. For
2: better, and for better—and for better or worse, it gave us Charlize Theron. That's true. That's
1: right. true. right. Okay, I'm definitely gonna watch it. Um, no, so no, the other blacklist, not the one that James Spader is on. Yeah. Uh, so it's a list of the most liked unproduced screenplays in Hollywood. And it's voted on by executives, mainly executives and agents and assistants. No, I don't know if agents can vote. I, I, don't, I don't know, it's, it's voted on by industry people. And um, I wrote a biopic about Stephen King called The Kings of Pain, And uh, I was lucky enough to get on that list uh, around five years ago, and that's what started my career. So if you land on this list, you you get introduced to everyone in town you go on a lot of meetings and uh people really like that script and it's kind of just started everything for me um so it was it was really important uh point in my career and then I was a co-writer on another script that landed on the blacklist and the blood list called 1031 um mm-hmm. uh, so uh yeah so no that de- 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 definitely helps any way to get attention in this town ultimately helps
0: well, I was about to throw it over to James but I was about to say if you could explain a little bit because this is another reason why I really wanted you on there was two reasons uh, that last 20 minutes well three the last 20 minutes of Castle Freak uh, the fact that you were a screenwriter and the fact that we've had several screenwriters most of them have been male mm-hmm. which is unfortunate yeah. we want more women on the show and I was curious about If you can explain, because I don't think a good friend of ours, Todd Farmer, who's also from Kentucky, wrote Jason 10, Drive drive Angry. I was trying to get him to explain the process and the business and Mm -hmm. how it's not all, how should I say, it's not all champagne and caviar. It's not even. (laughs) Right, right. And how you can make a living and there's nothing up on that screen. Like you could write, 10 screenplays sell a bunch option a few blah 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 and still not have a lot produced
1: and the inverse is also true you can have a lot on screen but not be making much money (laughs) you know if depending on on depending
0: on low budget pictures right
1: absolutely depending on you know uh if you're working in the independent sector or not and i've largely worked in the independent sector although i'm doing a lot more studio work now which is great, but I like having a foot in both camps because, uh, you know, it's just, there's different languages. I mean, you can, I I won't say you can get away with more in an independent film, but you can be a little more extreme. Um, But it's just, it's just about wearing different hats and traversing those two different worlds. And it's interesting because screenwriting is the one profession where, when you're writing, you have to be a performer on a certain level. You have to be someone people want to work with. You have to be likable. You have to be. Uh, you have to basically be an ideas generator constantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, people think it's about oh, just sitting down and writing the screenplay, but most of the time, when you're a screenwriter, you're just coming up with ideas and solutions and collaborating with people, and uh, that's the biggest part of the job. And if you if you're not comfortable with that, if you're not comfortable with coming up with a lot of ideas and talking to people a lot and having to pitch and sell, kind of like Gil in The Simpsons, that sales guy's like, gotta sell the car. Exactly. That's what it's like. And I think, you know, you could be, you can be the best screenwriter on the planet. You can be an absolute poet, but, if you can't work with the the industry and and give them what they want and generate a lot of ideas, then you might not get very far as a screenwriter. So it's it's interesting.
0: And the pitching, it, the acting that goes into pitching, and the exhaustion of it. Right? If you're not, we've had people on here talk about that. If you're yeah. not good at pitching, you're dead.
1: Right. And, but you can also be great at pitching and not sell the thing because it's just not what the town wants. Like I've been in situations where. You know, I've taken pictures out with enormous companies. And I once did nine pictures in a week of the of the same thing. And I, you know, when you pitch, you have to tell the entire movie to them. You're not just saying, oh, it's about a guy trapped in an elevator and there's a demon and he's got to look for his radar. No, you literally have to go beat by beat by beat. And now I'm talking like eight pages of a movie. So you go into a pitch and, you know, I'm talking for 45 minutes where I'm saying, every bit of me, and I'm having to remember every bit of the movie it's really really taxing and you know I had pitches where like the stakes were so high in terms of the places I was pitching that you know one pitch uh that I was flown to do I came back and I was in bed for three days afterwards because I was literally mentally and physically exhausted really I yeah I got really sick <laughs> I just went to sleep for three days because it was so taxing so if you and i'm not saying that they're all like that and you know there are a lot of screenwriters who um you know i mean we're all different you know some are very mm-hmm. soft spoken and can get the idea across you know very you know very softly and some are a little more theatrical and at the end of the day it doesn't really matter because you know it has been said about the business no one knows anything no one knows what's going to sell no yeah. one knows what the town wants no one knows what audiences want no one knows what what's gonna fly in the room that day and what's not and it's kind of like a casino and you keep going in and you're just pulling the lever and pulling the lever and you've got to be in the casino to win if you remove yourself from the casino floor you got no hope but if you keep coming in putting your know, you know maybe yeah. it'll pay off
0: wasn't it william goldman who coined the phrase no one knows everything right yeah Is i, I believe screenwriter? Goldman, yeah yeah. That's well,
1: yeah. true. And it's still true today.
0: Yeah.
1: That that never changes.
0: All right, James, you're up. But I actually was just as
3: you're as talking about writing a screenplay, and, and it is in this box, you have your rules, but I, I've had different people answer this question differently, and I just want to know your answer. When you're writing a screenplay, do you mentally cast people in roles? Do you have you know, this in my ideal world, this would be this actor.
1: Yeah, I do. I I sometimes, I normally have a couple of different actors in mind. It doesn't normally stay static. And what happens is, as I move from scene, like it'll maybe be like three different actors and they'll kind of morph in and out (laughs) between each scene. Uh, but their vibe will be very similar, you know? So it'll be like, you know, a James Spader type, which is also, uh, well, I don't know. James Spader is so unique. I don't know what, who else is a James Spader type, but you know, like, uh, people who are very similar, I'll be thinking about. Um, But, you know, what always happens is when you get to the casting stage of a film, it completely changes, you know? Like I I have a film that's casting right now that is, uh, you know, films go through many different iterations for production purposes. You know, I have a film that, you know, the main character might be being, cast down 10 years in age, which I, I wasn't expecting. And that's the other thing about screenwriting. You you have no control over the finished product. If you're someone who needs to control things, don't become a screenwriter because once the script is done and it's gone, um, it becomes a whole different beast because of production issues and financing issues and everything else. You have to be really cool with that. and. And I'm really cool with that. Like, if I, if I have a story that I feel I really want to tell that I don't want mess with, I'll write a novel. But, you know, I, I think it was Paul Schrader who said that a screenplay is a blueprint. It's just oh. a blueprint, and it's a blueprint the whole way through production and into post production. And, you know, I think people have read enough movies, enough books about movie making to know that a film changes constantly right up to the moment that it goes out. And it's this weird black magic that, that brings a film together, and you never know what it's going to be, basically.
3: Yeah. yeah i think the screenplay uh the screen uh, writers that that don't necessarily have that flexibility and mentality including one of my favorite authors and there's a reason he was not a screenwriter in many situations he he had an entire rant where he would say to the director no 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 you don't have to imagine it i imagined it for you and i i think he has a he Who had was a the author Say it out. that would be that would be harlan ellison and and he only had yeah. one one screenplay that uh, the oscar which was not a great film uh but he did a lot of television work and he had a a yeah. long history of uh
1: fighting the system
3: <laughs> and and litigious as well but and so i always think about that and i always think maybe that's why some people veer better toward short fictions novels and others veer more toward screenplays
1: sure or you become a writer director and that's absolutely fine as well if you want to control things more you have to become a writer director but um you know being a director is is different to being a writer so um yeah i mean but if you want to control what i mean that's what you have to do
0: so you said your favorite vampire film is directed by whom is one of my favorite interviews that i ever, I ever got to interview
1: uh-huh it
0: was romero's martin yeah tell me why
1: because it's sad and tragic and romantic. <laughs> and
0: he's not a real, and he's not a real vampire. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, or or is he? I don't. I don't know. He might be. Um, it
0: depends on how you. Th- I don't. You know. I don't. It's. It and that's what. What that's what makes the movie great is that we're yeah. both correct.
1: Well, I think. Um. So Romero, I he Romero had these really great films that are a little bit overlooked um there were always a big influence i mean season of the witch is just as much an influence on jacob's wife as martin was and i was thinking of season of the witch quite a lot when i was writing it because it's about a woman coming into her own through kind of dark and nefarious means um but no martin um you know very small film very very moving um very tragic and uh you know it was about you know all of these you know all the monsters like the vampires Mm -hmm. and and all of that. They're all metaphors for other things. And uh, Martin was about a a kid who was really lonely and sad and couldn't connect with anyone and had a bad family life and was trying to do better. And then just when you felt he might do better, it was all taken away from him. And I guess that's a little Lovecraftian as well. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. you try to do better, but then the universe has something else in store for you. And it was just very tragic and very effective. But Romero's really you know, I mean, he. If I mean, I, I. This is a generalization, but he could be, you know, the pioneer of that. I mean, and at the end of Night of the Living Dead, yep. when Ben comes out of that house and is killed. That's incredibly abrupt and shocking. And I guess you could potentially trace back all of these abrupt, shocking endings in films like Carrie and American Wealth in London and Martin. And all that. You could tra- trace them all back to Night of the Living Dead. Um, I can't think of a film before that that had an ending that shocking and abrupt.
0: No, you want to say Psycho, but it isn't. People forget Psycho has that whole 10-minute monologue at the end of it yes. that explains okay. everything. Hitch didn't go the whole way. He didn't just leave you with that. No, away to lemon apparently. What'd you say? He has an uh, impact on himself. He, he, is, he is
1: paused. Um, while he unpauses himself, I'll say the ending, <laughs> the ending.
0: Oh.
3: Are we
1: going to... Cause he oh, okay. was,
3: he
2: was going to direct Stop. and then it got to be too much for him. So he, he gave it to his friend.
1: Oh, okay. Well that's kind so of, that's
0: good. yeah. So I was
2: completely wrong.
1: Hi
0: Joe. I, um, it's just that you you have an interview, you you really want to talk to this specific lady <laughs> and her lady Charles to be specific. And you and and 10 months later it finally happens. And the you know, the old ones say, fuck your internet.
1: <laughs> they do. I, this is everything I've been talking about.
0: Yeah. So now, yeah. right right now you look like you're from, from a nineteen
2: eighties music video. So that's good. Oh yeah.
0: Joe, right so, <laughs> can you can you tell and me to take unfair. on myself? take on me <laughs> oh is my video paused again no but, no it's no you're just very fuzzy oh yeah well take on me,
1: take
0: me on. anyway back to my point i forgot where we were at i'm totally screwing this up and we're running we out about of time.
1: Psycho, the ending of psycho yeah
0: i mean hitch didn't even do it hitch had that ending and we could have ended there in the basement oh. don't get me wrong psycho is amazing and i don't mind it but it's there's, there's the monologue that explains the whole damn movie to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it, it gives the audience a, a, a reprieve.
0: It does. Yeah, it and
1: sends it them did. out feeling a little nicer, but I mean, considering the times that that film was made, um, you know, I don't think the audience could have taken it. Like that was- that, No, that, that probably was, like, not. Women got like the vapors when they were watching films and they passed out and all of that, so- uh, James, yeah, do I just,
0: your vapors speech.
3: Uh, fetch me my Phaeton couch. I've got the vapors.
1: <laughs> oh Lord! Because because you guys are from the south, um, can I ask? Have you seen a film called Scalpel? No. Oh, okay. You have to see this this southern gothic from like the seventies. Uh, I'm one writing of it down recommend, now. Recommended to me called Scalpel, um, and it's uh, 1977 um and it's about a surgeon who uh brings a woman back to life um she's got a messed up face and it's this this southern gothic and it's very very fun it's very cool I, very will, twisted.
0: I will look for it so,
1: immediately check it out
3: now most huh. things most southern things end up twisted
1: yeah.
3: uh,
1: <laughs> it's like drenched in southern heat and humidity it's like and also, um, one of the old prints, they, I think, if memory serves me, they decided to do like a sepia-toned print so it would look more Southern. Yeah. So it's got orange <laughs> tinge to it. So on the, the, it was just released on Blu-ray. I think Arrow released it. I could be wrong there. I apologize if it's not Arrow. It's okay. But like, like a sepia print and a, and a color-corrected print. But if you want like the real Southern drenched peachy, you, you know, you go with the sepia.
0: All right, our internet is still on. Un- I'll add very- it to our Halloween uh, watch. Yeah, ones. we've got totally. to do it. We've got to oh, do it. Oh, Joe, Lady-
1: he's struggling.
0: I know. Lady Charles. Oh, he no, struggles he's struggles
2: again. Even- I didn't even realize he was frozen.
0: <laughs> well, Lady- this is
3: a great time for us to talk, tell t- terrible, terrible stories about Joe. Well, can
0: you all actually hear me? Can anyone hear me? Anyone? Oh, my, damn it. Fun of me for not
3: flooring it when I did it. So I finally floored it and he got through. Oh, is he back? Am I gonna get
0: no, no. he's
3: not good. Okay, go ahead, Chad. You <laughs> well, you know, no, it's just kind of funny.
2: We were talking about Romero. This is and a I goddamn
0: tragedy tragedy, by the way. <laughs> just keep going this is any story for for and James
2: st- and I it's it's wonderful. Any, any story talk
0: <laughs> is as she was as Lady Charles was saying earlier, if you follow anything long enough and ends up being a tragedy. And this fucking interview towards the end with the internet is just uh sorry keep going I got
1: I'm sorry so I have to tell you this is what happens when you bring female screenwriters on we're very witchy (laughs) we 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 mess with things we bring the dark forces in and uh you know why
0: don't you just say (laughs) screenwriters you had to put female on there I was hoping well I've got a tentacle joke but we'll leave it alone keep going (laughs) Chad no well uh before I go back
2: to Romero, I do want to talk about. I'm looking at Scalpel, and I'm 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 more intrigued by the fact that one of the top billed actors is Sandy Martin, mm-hmm. who most people nowadays know as the chain smoking mother from a, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia."
1: <laughs> yeah, in it's a young so funny. Role. Like uh, when when some of those sunny supporting characters. This turn I've seen Max Dad in a few old movies too. Yeah. It's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really good <laughs> but no uh,
2: I was very happy to hear that Martin's one of your favorite movies because I'm I'm a, I'm a Romero fan too but I'm more of a Romero fan for his lesser known stuff like mm. Martin. Bruiser's one of my favorite movies it's, it may very well be my favorite Romero film and not a lot of people talk about Bruiser as much as I think they should.
1: Bruise is good. Uh, Monkey shines is great. Um, I love There's Always Vanilla, which was his very ill-conceived rom-com that he decided to make after Night of the Living Dead, and it's yeah. fantastic. So um, I, I'm definitely, you know, the zombie films are uh, the zombie films are great, but I really do like, like some of the smaller films from Romero even more.
0: You guys are leaving out Night Riders, which is my favorite one. Well, I was getting ready to say Night
2: Riders, yeah. which I didn't get introduced to till introduce a few years ago, and I'm like, oh my god, how come I never watched Night Riders?
1: Yeah, well, it's like one of the greatest lines ever written. I'm out here slaying the dragon. It's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Plus, it's got Tom Savini and that where he's half naked Uh-oh. and the and the thing. And
1: I'm always there for that. Seriously. Well. <laughs> Yeah,
0: you had me up until Thompson. No, I'm joking. Well, okay. <laughs> so, I we promised you an hour. We got to get off here. I, I would like to ask you one last question, if I may. Sure. What, and it's a hack question, so I apologize, but I'm curious is there the one great book that you want to adapt?
1: Ooh.
0: It's a hack question, but.
1: Yeah, you know, there is. It's probably not a horror novel. Um, that's okay. I've been lucky enough to be involved with some adaptations of some novels that um, meant a lot to me, but I can't talk about them, but I have been fortunate enough to do that.
0: That's okay. Um, You can talk about it on here. No one listens. Okay. (laughs) um, You have to beat yourself up. You have to be, we do, not you, Lady Charles, but we have to beat ourselves up.
1: You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Norman Mailer. <laughs> and I know it's just it, yeah. I know that's the last thing you were expecting me to say, but um, I'm am such a huge fan of Norman Mailer, and you know, adapting something like a, uh, you know, an American Dream uh, or oh, Armies yeah. of the Night or something like that would be just a dream project for me. Um, you know, I I find uh, yeah, I just once again, his his works are very. I like things. Oh, also probably his uh his novel why are we in vietnam which uh-huh. if you see david mammoth's the edge he kind of did it uh-huh. in the edge um but you know it's it's one of those man against the wild and man against the elements novels and it just kind of goes to like the dark primal primitive heart of man and you know how he uh struggles with you know, these baser innate instincts within him and then this veneer of civilization that he finds himself in and he's constantly at loggerheads with that. And I find that really fascinating because I think it's responsible for, you know, a lot of, you know, the issues we see today amongst, uh, you know, amongst people and in society and in institutions and all that is all of us, man or woman, we have all these really, you know, primitive genes that you know all these instincts that date back so far and then the technology in society is going so fast and we're constantly trying to to uh merge the two and it's really difficult to do and that's where you get people behaving in ways that are erratic and violent and um you know it's a constant tension and I'm really interested in that tension so uh yeah give give me a Norman Mailer book (laughs) I mean uh yeah probably not going to happen anytime soon but uh I, I could do
0: that. I did that. And I can't think of a better way to just go ahead and sign up. You, I hope this has been fun for you. We've had an absolute wow. blast. I apologize for the internet. If you're listening out there, I, they're both on Shutter. Jacob's Wife, the Castle Freak 2020 version. Go check them out. They are different. They They turn genders. It's just fun. Check them both out. Lady Charles, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on Bonehead Weekly.
3: Thank you guys.